We continue our sermon path in the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in John chapter 4 for this wonderful Sunday sermon session, and we will seek the information revealed in the recorded account, witnessed and recorded account of the woman of Samaria. An interesting account indeed with the information we will read together and learn with as it is in such a, um, oh, what, what's the right word? Uh, it is so different in the interaction or the individual in which Jesus will be interacting with this woman, this Samaritan woman how different she is compared to the chapter we had gone through previously where Christ was engaged with Nicodemus and how if we take Nicodemus and who he was and we look at this Samaritan woman And who she was in chapter 4. And how different both indeed are in so many ways. Yet still, yet still both in need of the new birth. Nicodemus, we had learned, was an educated man. He was a wealthy man. He was a man of influence, a religious leader. His acceptance in the community was welcomed among the Jews. This here now woman will be investigating that we will be reading is number one, a woman, which in this time and culture would not have been given the privilege of education so she was unlearned and she was not a Jew she was a Samaritan and it's interesting for us to recognize and identify the power of the gospel in that it has no prejudice not only should the man who is recognized or identified in the community as a religious leader, one who is educated and wealthy, who has great influence, not only should he obey the new birth, but so should this woman, whom we will see to be a woman trapped in a great measurement of immorality. That for us, of course, this hour teaches our approach when we evangelize. That there should be no prejudice. That all need to obey the new birth. And that is indeed the theme in which we have been reading. There must be a new beginning for those who seek fellowship with God. 
not only for the one who had Abrahamic lineage of the house of Israel in Jerusalem, but also the foreigner, the alien, the heathen, the pagan, the Greek, the Roman, the Gentile, the Samaritans. The scope of the gospel's power saves all. Paul would say that to his brethren in Rome, chapter 1, verse 16, if I'm not mistaken. And so with this account, we keep that in mind as we move forward with its recording. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, of course, speaking of Jesus and his locations where he practices his ministry fulfilling the prophets therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees had heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john of course the pharisees religious leaders would indeed seek to inquire on who this man is who speaks religious things for it was their territory to do so and they did not want anyone infringing on their privileges, their rights as they would see it, to teach and preach the word of God. Who is this man? And Jesus, of course, recognizes this. He knew such things. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, of course, that is according to the law. When police officers pull you over, they say, stop in the name of the law. That doesn't mean the law itself is in the literal presence. It is in with the authority of the law. So Christ would be there in which the authority which came from heaven, the baptism in which John was commonly known for, was full immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, the baptism of repentance to which we looked at in chapters prior. He left Judea, and went away again in Galilee. He left. The idea, of course, is interesting in the original language as, I'm going to leave you to your ways. It wasn't a happenstance or some kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well, I guess I need to keep walking and going somewhere else. The divine power of the Christ, God on earth, a man walking among us, knew why he was going to another location. The Holy Spirit writes it in such a way. John, the gospel writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he left. He left them to their ways in Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he came to pass through Samaria. He came to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria in verse 5 called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, tired, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would be noonish in Jewish time, which would I would believe, in my opinion, the context of a man walking, being tired in this challenging journey through Samaria would want to have a drink of water. 
Now, in Roman time, that would be 6 p.m. in the evening, and there is scholarly debate, I suppose, on what time that would be. You may even have footnotes in your translation that would say, perhaps 6 p.m. Roman time or noon Jewish time. It would be my position to think it was noon Jewish time. Interesting information, he does indeed uh, 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 pass through Samaria because it would have taken less time to arrive at the location he was seeking to arrive. Most of the Jews commonly would pass through the more lengthy way. Why? So as to not have any association with the Samaritans. And friends, like all division caused on this earth, sin, it came through war and it came through bitterness and ancestral lineage passing through one uh, to another, speaking of the division, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys kind of idea, if you will, through some long uh, a time ago war. And you can read of all these things, of course, in the Old Testament, I believe, First uh, Kings or Second Kings, I forget now. But it stems and it's deep-rooted and it's not, it's not gone away, right? The Jews have no dealings with Samaria or the Samaritans because of this separation, this chasm that had since been created. And it's true, of course, war and various things taking place with war one after another that didn't seem to uh, bring in together a peaceful resolve but would seem to further distance themselves from one another. And so he had to pass through Samaria. He had to do it, and to do it in a uh, time-efficient way. He was going to go through this way. And it's not happenstance. Again, he knew God knows uh, the fulfillment of his ministry and to the strength and might of his insight, his wisdom, his providence. He, at that time, knew what would be written through the penmanship of the Holy Spirit and the account you and I would be reading today. And he knew this before he formed Adam and Eve. If we ever doubt his might, let us ponder on those things. So there came a woman in verse 7. A woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He's tired on this journey. Certainly a challenging journey. The landscape must have been uh, uh, one in which would um, strain the human condition, the human body. And Jesus is uh, a, young, uh, a young man. So even in his youth and strength as a young man in his 30s, he sought drink. So that kind of gives us insight on the challenge of this journey, yet necessary in the fulfillment of his ministry to engage with this woman and have this written for us this day, this hour. Give me a drink. Christ is asking for something. Interesting information, interesting turn. He is seeking something from her. A woman of Samaria. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here he finds himself as a man who is tired journeying forward 
through Samaria, speaking to this woman. His disciples are off purchasing necessities for the provision of our bodies. Therefore, he is thirsty and asked this woman for a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, she says to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? Kind of caught her off guard. Not expected. Not common. Is he lost? Does he not know of the chasm between us and them? We and they? The Jews have nothing to do with us Samaritans. Our systems and patterns and traditions and rituals and shrines and all of the, everything's different here. There is a lineage of war and separation. Why is he asking me for water? And to add to that, he wants me to give him a vessel, a vessel in which the water will be found, in which he will drink. Doesn't he know that the Jews go out of their way not to come close to our district? Why? Because they don't want to be contaminated by the vessels we utilize, the cups, the pitchers. They don't want to touch none of it. They're busy straining gnats and swallowing camels. Why on earth would they be among us, the Samaritans, to have from what we own and drink from that? That can't be, right? Doesn't he also know that us Samaritans, we have a different form in which we worship? The Jews think the location of their worship is in Jerusalem. We Samaritans, well, we think it's where we want it to be. And at this time, over here, in Samaria, in the mountain. What? <laughs> Why? What? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? You see us impure, as dogs, contaminated. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What an interesting reply. He didn't engage in defending himself regarding why he's drinking or why he's tired and seeks to drink water. He's going to the spiritual side of things, as he did with Nicodemus. He goes to the spiritual side of things. Nicodemus and the Jews and the religious leaders of the day 
in their worship to God in Jerusalem was according to the law. But you see, the Samaritans, they did not respect the books of the Old Testament apart from the Pentateuch. Everything else was not inspired and not to be observed. They held dear to the Pentateuch. And of course, they had in their own interpretation come to that end. So they, if we seek, well, if we, I guess, reason with each other, they believed in the same God, the Samaritans and the Jews. They believed in the same God, but the Samaritans were not practicing proper God-instructed worship. Interesting, isn't it? So he's now going to try to pierce her insight to challenge her thoughts to create, of course, what is already an awkward moment. Here is a Jew, a man, speaking to me, a woman, to which some Jewish leadership uh, manuscripts and their, their journals, their writings reveal that they saw it in no way to speak to a woman or teach a woman the word of God. She's a woman. Culturally speaking, so a woman in their own tradition, not by the hand of God. It was not God's will that a woman be ignorant of his law, but they had created so many traditions. It was just frowned upon. You don't talk to a woman. Most specific, a, a, a Samaritan woman? About spiritual things? If you knew, of course, revealing that they did not know who he was, but yet still, in their ignorance, these Samaritans knew that there was going to be a restorer because of the Pentateuch. Uh, somewhere in Deuteronomy, maybe chapter 18, I cannot remember it now. By all means, check it out in your own personal studies. It's somewhere in there. They believed that there is one to come who is a restorer. Christ is saying to her, you do not know who I am. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters living waters a water that has movement that has life of course he is speaking of spiritual things he's asking for water she like nicodemus before her is thinking earthly things well here we are next to a well and i want to draw water in a vessel that these Jews don't even want to come close to about water and living water. Here is a well. There's no bubbling down in the well. There's no living water down in the well. It's a isolated body of water in which I must pull from. What is he talking about? And one can see how she might be a bit confused or standoffish. I don't know. The text doesn't really reveal completely what 
she was accepting or not accepting. But we can certainly interpret within the confines of the doctrine and find room to learn. Human beings are human beings. They were acting back then the way we act today. Act and react. So she said to him after this here reply, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? I don't see it here. I see no possibility of receiving this water you speak of within this location we are currently found. Sir, that's respectful, you have nothing to draw with. You're asking me for a drink with my vessel. And here you are speaking of living water. You are no, this is interesting, verse 12. You're not greater than our father Jacob. Oh, the deep stems and traditions of our forefathers, right? We know all about that, don't we? On the east coast of Canada and the religious lineage we were born and raised in and how you, you, you stick to that. You, you do not question that. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Great attachment to Jacob who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. We'll talk about emotional investment in her beliefs. She's not ready to let that go. What is this man talking about? We've been practicing our religious ways for centuries. Are you questioning? Are you opposing our religious worldview? Our traditions, our ancestry, my mother, my father, my grandparents, my grand-grandparents. You're not greater than all of that. And all of this, are you saying there's something missing? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself. That's personal. That's deep. And his sons and his cattle. Family. Provision. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water she is so emotionally attached to, will thirst again. Will thirst again. How can that be? Because earthly water, earthly food, doesn't have the power to sustain you eternally. These physical bodies are subject and submissive to the natural realm we live in. And it takes liquid and it takes nourishment. But it has to go back to it to be sustained. The blood of bulls and goats 
always needed to be sacrificed until the Christ. No more blood of bulls and goats necessary. Your body will always hunger and thirst. But the water in which Christ reveals and speaks, that can keep us sustained eternally. So he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Your traditions, your lineage, your ancestry, your religious worldview, and your deep emotional ties to Jacob and family, this well, this water, it can't keep you eternally. It doesn't have the power nor the authority to do so. This water is not the water of the new birth. She needs to learn about the new birth, as did Nicodemus. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, in verse 14, shall never thirst, never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Words of life, instructions and wisdom, example, all of the wonderful things that Christ spoke and was recorded guide us to eternal life. And she needed to hear that, and she needed to know that. Even a woman, a Samaritan woman, had the opportunity to drink of this living water. It was God's mind and purpose from the very beginning. God has always wanted all men to be saved. Men made separations. Men made divisions. God unites, brings together. So the woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, again, sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. So he, she seems to, again, recognize the earthly value of this water he speaks of. Well, I, it'll save me some time and some trouble. If we were to have our meal of fellowship this day, and it would be the last meal we ever need to have our bodies receive, well, it's going to save us a lot of money. We don't need to buy food anymore. You see, false worship, false religious worldview is always going to have us hungry again. And we're going to keep seeking another meal. That is why the landscape of this religious world in the West is enamored with all sorts of Various religious traditions, rituals, worldviews, practices, all claiming Christianity. If you would have asked this woman if she believed in God, she would have said yes. But according to the Samaritan way, not according to the way of the Christ. If you would have asked the Jew if he was a believer, he would have said yes. If you would have asked them if they were saved, they would have said, yes, 
We follow the law. They thought their traditions was law. The same with the Samaritan. And so she is thinking earthly and saying, well, yeah, give me of this living water, this water you speak of. It'll save me a lot of time, a lot of trouble. Well, he says to her in verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. <laughs> call your husband and come here. There is indeed information that would reveal that the word husband could be man in a few of these locations and areas. Go call your man. Go call your husband and come here. Well, the woman answers and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her what he already knew. You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. You've had five men. Perhaps the guilt of fornication, of course, adultery. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, is he? He's somebody else's husband, isn't he? So not only fornication and adultery is being brought up here, but he says to her, you have said truly. It's amazing how he says, this you have said truly. Did she say that? Well, she must have. How so? He knew the inner heart and problem. She says, I have no husband. Quick and short. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> right? We don't want our sins talked about. We want them confined. And I mean, it's bringing shame. All it's bad enough she's a woman in a Samaritan. Now she's going to have to tell this Jew that she's had multiple husbands, men, and one of them not her own. I mean, how bad does it need to get? Bad enough that she starts to recognize and be pierced that the gospel and this new birth is for her as well. Hmm? So he says, you have said truly it's in your heart it's in your life you know it and though you are seeking to sweep this under the rug real quick with a short and snippy answer he knows what's going on so the woman said to him sir again sir i perceive that you are a prophet you're a prophet See how he's organizing this interaction with her, bringing her closer to having these kinds of conversations now? Like, he's, he's bringing her in. You know, fishing takes effort. You need the right bait. You need the right location, the right time, the right way, the right approach. And if you are doing it correctly, though even in a pool in which might not have much fish who are biting, you know, fishermen will say that, today was not too much of a good day. The fish aren't biting today. So you didn't catch anything? Well, we caught a few. Christ would say, go in deeper water. This is deep water. Samaria? A woman? An adulteress? A fornicator? How deep of a water do you need? This deep of a water. What kind of a bait? The Christ is luring her into the right frame of mind and thought and conversation necessary. And she's now asking 
or saying, stating, I perceive that you are a prophet. Remember, she in her religious worldview and her culture, her people, thought of the Pentateuch and thought of a one to come and renew. They would not know him to be as the Jews, the Messiah, the anointed one, through the scriptures that they didn't respect, the Samaritans. She says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Speaking, of course, again of this chasm, this separation, this division among the people. You all think that the text in which you respect said that worship was going to take place in a specific place in Jerusalem. We say that the text in which we interpret was wherever we were at, and we were, where we are at is at this well, or in this mountain, sorry, the ancestral lineage to it. Well, Jesus says to her in verse 21, and we'd expect that he'd want to, again, argue and debate her point. But see how he brings it to a spiritual moment. Because he could have said to her, here's why us Jews is right in Jerusalem and you're wrong over here in the mountain. Because that's how we tend to want to operate. Prove myself right. Prove yourself right. No, he's going to prove the word of God right. And bring it again to a spiritual place. Woman, believe me. An hour is coming, verse 21, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Wait, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. The Jews were very strict and pharisaical to their literal location in Jerusalem the only faithful location in which their worship was to take place. Adherent, of course, to a coming Messiah that would be a military power. That's why they tried to take him by force, give him a sword, slay down the Romans, build a kingdom, an empire of physical hands. While the Samaritans interpreted their section of Scripture, the Pentateuch, to their own liking their own image as the Jew was doing to theirs. And it had to do with a location, a physical place in which they would be found. Here's the mountain for us. There's the temple in Jerusalem for you. Christ is saying, neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem. Well, what is he saying? Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. It's will worship that is ignorant. Yes, you do believe in the same God, but your worship is ignorant. It's flawed. You don't know the God you worship. And how can one be in fellowship with God if he or she is not found in the right location, spiritually speaking, and is ignorant and knows not God? Paul would tell his brethren in Thessalonica regarding the persecution they were receiving them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Christ will be lost. We worship what we know. The Jews know. For salvation came through that lineage, the law. Salvation is from the Jews, 
verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is. It is activated through the ministry of the Christ, the words he is speaking, living water, this new birth which must take place that has no prejudice, that is for all mankind, including this woman, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, in location, spirit and truth. Spirit? What location is that? It's not the mountain. It's not in Jerusalem. This man is saying that all of our religious practices and traditions is wrong, is not accurate. The right mind in the right location with the right doctrine, spirit and truth. The Samaritans were not worshiping properly. The Jews had since let go the commands of God to adhere their own traditions. All of them, all. It was the perfect time for Christ to walk on this earth, wasn't it? All mankind to be saved and become one people. How so? Through the new birth. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. We are commanded to seek ye first the kingdom, Matthew 6.33. Here we see God seeking something as well. And what is it that God seeks? A certain kind of worshiper. One who is found in a spiritual house, a spiritual location, which can be visible through the physical eye. We hear the East Coast Church, which belongs to Jesus Christ, the East Coast Church of Christ, is a spiritual house, congregation, assembly, and we see it through our physical vessels congregated together on Sunday and midweek studies and our fellowship and our retreats and our studies. We see each other. We are together, united as one, in the right spiritual location where there is no corruption or contamination of spiritual chaos and hostility, but of love and unity where we can worship. How so? In spirit, the right mind, in the right location, with the right doctrine. And we were placed in this location of God's grace and all spiritual blessings through the new birth that Christ spoke of. God is spirit, verse 24. He is not a spirit. He is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Must is not a negotiable option. There's no negotiating must. When God says must, it is a necessity. In chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. There is no negotiation here. The Jew had to practice the new birth, and so did the Gentile, the Greek, the Romans, the Samaritans. They all needed to submit in love towards God to be found within the location to which the Holy Spirit's pen would write on the day of Pentecost, recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, chapter 2, 
upon their new birth, they were added to this location, the spiritual location, the church in which Christ spoke, in which was built this kingdom that the men and women of the age and era in which Christ walked were told they would still live and see in the first century. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now the woman said to him, I know that, and here the word Messiah is utilized, but more accurate to the context and the original language would be this individual who would restore. And I forget the name of it. There's a name to it. I forget the name. I know that the restorer is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. See how he's having gospel progress with this woman and her life and her thoughts, her mind? How it all began with, give me a drink. Don't ever think that small talk or the necessity for something to be vain when we can cat when we can utilize it for the further progress of the gospel in someone's heart from give me a drink to living water to her sins to why she needs a savior the woman said to him i know that a restorer is coming one that comes who will declare things to us, all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Isn't that something? He didn't say that to anyone else. Why her? He's in Samaria. The Jews wanted to captivate him or to take him captive and make him a military power. The Pharisees were seeking all kinds of trouble for him because they didn't want their a pray, approval of men to be in any way tarnished. Their praise from men, they, they didn't want that to be tarnished or taken away, so there was a lot of hostility. But this woman, he saw fit to declare, I who speak to you am he. The restorer you seek is speaking to you. And at this point, his disciples came and they're, they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Right? There it is. Yet they said nothing. Oh, well, maybe he's doing it for the right reasons. He's got a purpose. I mean, they had witnessed him and his ministry and the things he had done and said. I mean, maybe he's got a purpose that we need to just leave alone. Or maybe they didn't want to bring up their prejudice publicly so to anyone and be seen as one who would be the recipient of rebuke. What do you seek? They didn't ask. Why do you speak with her? They didn't ask those questions. So the woman left her water pot. Wait a minute. Didn't you catch how she was wanting living water so she wouldn't go through the trouble and the challenge of getting the water? She just went through the trouble of getting the water, but what is now first and foremost in her heart? The trouble she just went through to get the water? No, she drops the water pot and she goes. Something's changed in her mind. Something's changed in her heart. So much so that a priority of things has changed in her life. 
So the woman left her water pot, uh, water pot and went into the city and said to the men, and this water pot to the Jewish mind would have been contaminated, unpure. What is he doing? She leaves it there and goes to the city to the men. To the men? A woman? To the men? Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the restorer, is it? See, why would they have believed her if she would have came in proclaiming, it's the restorer? No, she had to be cunning and wise with this moment because they would have known her as an adulterer and a fornicator, a woman. So she is wise to speak this moment in question form. Have them think of it, have them come along and see it for themselves. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Let people learn for themselves. Independent faith. Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. See, that challenged her, didn't it? That caused a seed of faith in her heart that this man knew of my life and the sin therein. This is not the restorer, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. They were coming to him. It's amazing. And our time's pretty much up. But it's amazing to me, this process and this interaction and the things taking place. And of course, all, all mankind, the Jew and the Gentile, the Greek and the Jew, all of them, were to be participants, citizens, to become citizens of the kingdom Christ would have, would establish. This woman here, Christ met her where she was at. He did not shy away to bring forth what she was guilty of, and he did so in such a, in such a uh, manner of wisdom that she herself was revealing the truth. And it pierced her heart so much so that immediately she needed to evangelize. She needed to go out there and tell others. Did Nicodemus do that? That's interesting, isn't it? And we will learn further next week in our next sermon session how this woman indeed, indeed proclaimed and became active for the purpose and ministry of the Christ. And so we conclude in this fashion with the invitation to the gospel. All of us need Jesus Christ. None of us can meritoriously earn our salvation. There is no works we can boast about. We must submit to the will of God. And Christ is saying and has revealed that though our intentions might be driven by pure motives and that our conscience is clear, if we don't worship God properly in the right location, we will be found lost. And though we might be certain that we are indeed doing as we seek to do towards God, if it is not according to his word, we are lost. The new birth is baptism, full immersion, to be submerged, to be plunged, to be dipped, to be buried, to be clothed into water where a spiritual operation takes place. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean of our sins. We come up out of that water to newness of life. This is the birth that is necessary 
to have us added as legal citizens to his church, his kingdom. This is scripture and it is the truth. And only within the spiritual location, the church Christ purchased with his own blood, can we worship him in spirit and truth. And if anyone here needs to be submerged, plunged, clothed, buried, baptizo, baptized into Christ for the reason you are doing that, calling on his name for the forgiveness of your sins and added to his church, his kingdom. It is available always. It is available always. All right, that will do for now. And we will go to a psalm. When the master makes the final call And you have to leave this earthly ball Well, where are you gonna hide on that great day? Will you hear the Lord say, come well done? Or into the mountains will you run? Well, where are you gonna hide on that great day? The earthquakes rock the world. The world. Oh, where, oh, where, where are you gonna hide? Where you gonna hide? When the sun from space is hurled. Oh, where, oh, where are you gonna hide? Where you gonna hide? When all things have passed away. Say, where, oh, where are you gonna hide?